Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. You can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Good Pods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and I have an email address, which is letstalkmicro at outlook.com. So either via social media or via that email address, you can reach out with any suggestions, any feedback. They are always welcome and appreciated. So please subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave a review if the app allows you to do so. Your support is greatly appreciated. As always, I am very grateful for you listening. So if you are listening to this, it is Thanksgiving here in the U.S., so happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate. I hope you are enjoying some time with your family and loved ones. You know, it's always great to take some time off and recharge. And if not, you know, maybe you're off from work or maybe you're off from school. So at the very least, if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, you're at least, you know, getting some well-deserved rest. So what I decided to do for this week, instead of airing a brand new episode, what I'm gonna what I'm doing is releasing, re-releasing an older episode, which is about anaerobes. This originally aired in 2021, and it is an introduction to anaerobes, which was episode 20. So I went ahead and did uh, some minor changes. I edited a little bit. I am re-releasing it. It is some great content. And in it, I just give an overview about anaerobes. I talk about some species of anaerobes. I go over, you know, error tolerance. So I discuss those terms, you know, like a obligate anaerobes, facultative anaerobes, aerotolerant organisms. And I also talk about why using only blood agar for an anaerobe, you know, why is it not helpful because other organisms grow. So overall, it is great content. And this was actually a three-part series where I continue going over sources and incubation and then move on to anaerobic agar. So definitely check them out if you haven't already. And keep in mind that this was two years ago. The podcast was fairly early on. So I was still working on some adjustments on how to properly, you know, do audio, talk better. So bear, bear that in, you know, keep that in mind while you're listening to the episode. So maybe the quality of the audio might, be, might not be the same as it is right now. But like I said, definitely great content. So let's go ahead and listen to it. Let's talk about anaerobes. So let me introduce you to anaerobes. So what's an anaerobe? Well, it is an organism that does not grow in the presence of oxygen. And you have various degrees of growing and oxygen tolerance in organisms. You have your strict aerobes, which only grow in the presence of oxygen. Then you have microaerophilic organisms. They grow in a reduced oxygen environment. There are aerotolerant organisms. You know, they can grow in an oxygen environment but they grow better in anaerobic conditions. A good example is actinomycins. Actinomyces, sorry. It is a gram-positive rod that grows weakly aerobically, but much better anaerobically. And it's, it's very, those of you that work in the bench in microbiology, you can relate to this. Sometimes, you know, with the actinomyces cultures, like you put them in a thio, you incubate like a CDC plate anaerobically, and it grows much better. You know, you can get maybe some like some weak aerobic growth. 
But if you, you know, if you have some growth aerobically and then you subculture that organism to like a blood plate and you incubate it anaerobically, it will come out so much stronger. Especially if you if you place it on a platform like the Anoxomat, which I will talk more about that later on. That uh, you know it induces an anaerobic environment relatively fast, so that organism will grow so much stronger. So and then we have the facultative anaerobes. They are capable of growing on oxygen and anaerobic environments. Some great examples are staph, strep and the Enterobacterales. There are facultative anaerobes. They will definitely, and those of you that work in the bench, you, you can see. The morphologies, they look different versus, you know, when you have your classic E. coli or your, you know, your classic Staph aureus, those nice large beta hemolytic colonies on blood agar. And then when you have your blood culture play that's incubated anaerobically, there is growth, but it doesn't look as beautiful as it looks aerobically. So the organism can grow, definitely anaerobically, but it's just, like I like to say to my students, you know, it will grow, but it's like, oh, I really don't like it. So I do what I have to do and, and I grow, but, so it doesn't look as good as it will, it will do aerobically. So that is why uh, when I go over anaerobic media, that when you are plating anaerobes, you have to use multiple agar with selective properties. Plating your sample on a blood agar and incubating it anaerobically, it's not very helpful because most organisms that grow aerobically are facultative anaerobes. So if you're trying to rule anaerobes in a culture and all you do is a blood plate, I mean, you might get your anaerobe, let's say there's not a lot of aerobic growth, but if there's like a lot of flora, if there's staph, Enterobacterialis, you're going to have a hard time isolating that anaerobe. So you need to use multiple plates. And it varies with the facilities, but there's typically a combination, maybe two to three plates that you incubate when you have, when you are trying to rule out anaerobes. Okay, so as I am talking about this, right, so I mentioned that there are certain levels of oxygen tolerance. Right, so you have microaerophilic, um, aerotolerant, um, facultative anaerobes, and obligate anaerobes. So the strict anaerobes, the obligate anaerobes, they do not grow in the presence of oxygen. And why do you think this is? So before I answer that, I'm using some technical terms, some technical definitions. So always remember, I like to use Bailey and Scott's Diagnostic Microbiology is a great source. They have no affiliation with this podcast. And I also like to use the, the ASM books where they actually, the clinical procedures, they describe the clinical procedures. It's a great reference. And this is what most laboratories, you know, they use, they are guided by on what media to use, how to work up a culture based on a source, what organisms to look for, what needs to be ruled out, so they basically, they, they play a huge part in the procedures that we use in clinical microbiology labs. They have no affiliation to this podcast. So why do you think that the strict anaerobes that do not grow in the presence of oxygen? Well, they lack uh, 
superoxide dismutase and catalase, which are enzymes required to break down reactive oxygen produced during respiration or aerobic metabolism. So oxygen has a high affinity for organic compounds containing nitrogen, hydrogen, carbon, and sulfur, which interfere with normal biological activity. So they can protect themselves against this. So they need an absence of oxygen to grow. So definitely you have to make sure that, and we'll talk about some systems on that uh, achieve an anaerobic environment. You know, some are better than others and they work, but you have to keep some factors in mind, you know, the size of the lab, because sometimes some methods are more cost effective than others. Keep in mind your volume, but you definitely have to, in order to recover these organisms, you have to induce an anaerobic environment all the way from like the old school method with the candle jar to eliminate the oxygen to some great methods that achieve an anaerobic environment within like 10 minutes. And of course, these organisms, they're, some are more sensitive than others. For example, if you're subculturing an anaerobe, sometimes, you know, you can actually, just to see what happens, I have waited like an hour before putting it, putting the plate in a, in a anaerobic environment, and it still grows. But that's not the case for all of them. But the key point to this is like, they cannot survive in the presence of oxygen. They cannot protect themselves, you know, against all these organic compounds. So they need to be in the absence of oxygen. And anaerobes, they're actually, they're a significant component of the human flora. So just like we have, you know, we have in our bodies, we have many organisms that they're there actually. And by having them, it protects us from having, you know, from other organisms that can cause disease, gaining access to our, our bodies. Or sometimes, you know, they keep those same organisms that can cause disease at low levels because it's crowded with the good flora. For example, on the, on our genital, our, the genital flora, that if it starts being reduced, then yeast, like, you know, like female gets, they get yeast infections. Um, if those levels of normal flora, they start reducing, that's why they always stay induced, like, you know, eat the yogurt and the probiotics so you can grow those healthy, healthy flora levels. So we have bacteria in our skin, we have bacteria in our intestinal system, and th over there, they're just normal. They don't cause any problems. So we have anaerobes as part of our human flora. In fact, most infection-causing anaerobic bacteria, they are part of our human flora. However, not all of them are part of it. We anaerobes, you find some in the soil and environment. When I talk about, the, about this, there are two terms, endogenous and exogenous. Endogenous are those that are part of the human flora, and exogenous are those that are not part of the, the normal flora. You know, there are environmental, they are found, found in the environment, soil. So when you have most anaerobic um, infections, those include a mixture of anaerobic and facultative anaerobic organisms. And this is very true when you're working on the bench, those of you that work as clinical microbiologists. So typically you have 
on an infection you have, you can get sometimes, you know, like two or three enterobacterales, and then you can have an anaerobe, like a, like a prevotella, like a bacteroides. So it's typically a mixture of, of organisms. Especially, yeah, when you get to some sources, like sometimes, you know, like, a, this is typically seen on the, like, abdominal sources, two or three enterobacterales, and then sometimes you can also have, in addition to that, uh, you can get some, like, non-fermenting gram-negative rods, like pseudomonas, uh, stem drophomonas. So you have a combination, definitely multiple organisms. And this is not only true for, um, like, abdominal sources, like, other... I have when you see like sometimes some some wounds, especially on diabetic patients, you get a lot of infection. You can have an anaerobe, and you can have two or three enterobacterales, along with sometimes you know you can have a staph, and then you can have like a pseudomonas, xenotrophomonas, acinetobacter, alkaligenes, all these combined in one culture. So at that point in time, of course, you know you follow the guidelines. Your, the procedures dictated in your lab. But when you have this many organisms, typically, depending on the source, you will mix your enterobacterales and always work up your staph, of course. Uh, you will work up your non-fermenting gram-negative rods, beta strep. And when I mean work up, is as far as doing like a full ID and susceptibilities. And then the others, you will mix them and then the physician decides if they want to work it up or not. They will request it. But that's typically, that's typically what, how it goes in the lab. I mean, you have to keep in mind that providing that much information, I mean, might not do as good as, what is it going to do for the patient if you provide eight or nine different sets of susceptibilities? That's why you, depending on the protocol, you will work up, you know, like your staff, you're concerned with the MRSA. Your non-fermenting gram-negative rods, they tend to be more resistant than your enterobacterales. So that's why you need to work them up. And since anaerobes are part of the normal flora, they can contaminate specimens. And once again, I, as you see this, especially on the genital, you know, vaginal flora, there, there are anaerobes. And then, of course, in the abdominal enteric, system they are anaerobes so typically you will you will see them when you have these sources like i mentioned you know abdominal culture two three organisms and in addition one or two anaerobes and this depends on the facility but sometimes you know if you have more than one anaerobe you will report your culture as mixed anaerobes other facilities will actually uh, tell you to go ahead and do id and susceptibilities no, sorry, not susceptibilities. Doing an ID on it. So that varies with the with the lab. So what are some examples of anaerobes? Well, you have bacteroides. You have Protella. And these are gram-negative rods. You have a fusobacterium. As far as gram-positive rods, you have clostridium, right? Um, definitely some, some classic ones. So you have Clostridium difficile. In the medical community, everyone is pretty much aware of it. Um, and then you have Clostridium perfringens, which is the 
the organism that causes the gas gangrene, and it has a double zone of beta hemolysis, which I mentioned this before, but I like to talk about it. I don't know. As microbiologists, when we see an organism that we haven't seen before, we get excited, and that's because we like this. You know, we want to see a, the organism so we get familiar with them, and then we can make sure that we don't miss them. And we do the best job we can when we are reading cultures. Of course, you know, we do this for the patients. And seeing an organism that's bad for a patient, it's sad. And we want people to be healthy. But from the microbiologist side, when we see them, we get excited. Because it's just something that we might have seen in a textbook. Then again, keep in mind that there, there's a line in this. Because I will never get to be excited to see an anthrax. I hope that I never get to. Um, that's a very, you know, very dangerous organism. But when we see some organisms, we definitely get excited. So when I saw my my Clostridium perfringens, I was excited. I'm like, oh, first time I see it, I see that double zone of beta hemolysis. I recognize it, and you know, I was that part of the microbiology, the nerd in me, was excited. And then of course I saw the patient's history and amputations and that's that's the sad part those are some examples of anaerobes when you talk about anaerobes some you will see definitely more than others just like with aerobic bacteria like take for example bacteroides sometimes you know that one is referred to as the e coli of the anaerobe world because you will see it in a, in a lot of cultures bacteroides and prevotella they're very prevalent. So just like you will see an E. coli a hundred times on the bench, um, you know, over, over, over again, when you are working with anaerobes, you will definitely see a lot of bacteroides over and over again. And there's like a group of, it's called the bacteroides fragilis group. But then we will talk more about the organisms themselves down the line, some other episodes. Today, just an overview. And definitely Clostridium difficile, which is actually now called Clostridioides difficile, is definitely not part of the human flora. So to take from this, these organisms, they do not, they cannot grow in the presence of oxygen. It is harmful to them. So when you are incubating them in order to make sure you recover them from a culture, you have to make sure that you provide an anaerobic environment where you uh, reduce the oxygen, you eliminate it. That way this organism can grow. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about anaerobes. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. And I invite you to check out the rest of the series, if you haven't already, where I continue talking about sources and incubation, and then move on to agar. Great information, great content. As always, I'm very grateful for the support. Next week, a new episode comes out. So stay tuned. Great things coming your way. And like I said at the beginning, happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate it. At the very least, if you're not, I hope that you are 
having some well-deserved time off with your family and loved ones or by yourself. It is always great to stop and recharge your battery. As always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important you do such great work. So, as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.